0: This is the Redemption Church Podcast. For a list of messages, events, and more, please visit experienceredemption.com. Thanks for checking out the podcast. Here is today's message. Well, good morning. Thank you so much for joining us here at Redemption this morning. My name is James, and I am the worship pastor here at Redemption. And I am filling in this morning for Stephen, who is our lead pastor, and he is taking a well-deserved break this morning. Um, But on behalf of both Stephen and myself, thank you so much for joining um, us this morning. I'm looking forward to just spending the morning with you guys in God's Word together. Um, Just to kind of catch you up to where we've been at as a church, last week we just finished up a series called Extra Evangelical, and really what this was was an expositional look through the book of 1 John. And so we kind of saw different themes of holiness and sanctification, loving God with all of our hearts, mind, and uh, and strength, and then loving others well. And I just want to say that if you are new around here, maybe you're checking out our church this morning, uh, maybe you weren't here for some of the weeks of that series, I would encourage you to actually go back and listen through the extravangelical series, because if you are looking for a church, I think this series does a really good job of of kind of showing who we are as a church and the truths that we stand upon. So I did want to just say that all of our previous sermons, if you're ever curious, we do upload them to our YouTube, to our um, Spotify and Apple podcast, and you can also just find them on our website. ExperienceRedemption.com. So I just want to encourage you, um, if you're looking for a church, start with that series. It's really, really good. Um, And then this next week, we're actually launching into a new series. And this series is called Throwbacks. And essentially, Stephen is going to walk us through um, some old sermons that he preached back in the days of the church meeting at the movie theater. And really, these sermons um, were kind of fundamental to developing who we are as a church, um, kind of the culture that we have around here. And they explored themes of uh, living a godly life and and church unity and kind of coming together as a church. Um, So I just wanted to take a moment to just extend an invitation. Um, Thank you for being here today, but please come back next week too as we kind of start walking through that series. Um, It's just another great way for you to get to know if this is the church for you. Um, This leads us to this morning then. What is James going to talk about? Um, That is a question that I ask myself pretty much every day for the last four weeks. Um, There is a lot, obviously, in this book here, and I had a really hard time kind of settling on what I wanted to talk about. Um, I preached back in May, and um, it was a little bit different that time because Stephen gave me the topic, and the topic was worship, and so I naturally just felt a little bit more prepared or equipped to kind of talk on that, but this time I had a really hard time coming to a decision, and I think I probably even changed my mind like four to five times just this past week. So it really wasn't until Friday that I kind of settled on, oh, okay, this is, this is it. This is what I feel like God has um, for me and for the church this morning. And I settled on it because I started thinking about that idea of throwbacks or that idea of um, kind of taking a stroll down memory lane, which is what we're going to do in this upcoming series, and kind of got me thinking about my own past and my own upbringing. And I realized that many of you probably don't really know me that well. Like, other than that, my name is James, I'm the worship pastor because I say that pretty much every week. Um, so, I wanted to just take a moment to kind of uh, tell you a little bit about myself this morning before we dive into our text. Now, I um, pretty much grew up and was raised in the church. Uh, Both of my parents were very involved in the church. My dad led worship on the worship team. My mom was uh, a faithful Sunday school teacher pretty much week after week after week. And um, really at a young age, I had gotten involved and started serving. I think by the time I was 11, I had joined um, the worship team there. And so um, really, I was just kind of grew up surrounded by the church. And um, honestly, it was probably Sunday morning, Sunday night, Tuesday evenings for Awana. I don't know if you guys remember Awana. Um, (laughs) I knew someone would do that. Um, So Awana on Tuesday nights, Wednesday nights for church again. A lot of times there'd be events on the weekends. So really church kind of became like a second home to me growing up. On top of that, I was also homeschooled. Now, a lot of times when I tell people, (laughs) there we go. I like that. (laughs) A lot of times when I tell people I was homeschooled, it's usually met with the response of, what? But you're not that weird. Um which is a true statement. And what I usually tell them is, no, 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 don't worry. I am definitely weird. Um, And I take pride in that, right? And I had told my mom that I was going to make that joke, and she said, no, 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 don't say that. You're gonna offend someone. And I'm like, I'm not gonna offend somebody because I was homeschooled. I'm allowed to make that joke, right? Um, so the reason why I mentioned that I was homeschooled is, is just the fact that both in my church and home life, um, I was really kind of surrounded by the faith and surrounded by godly examples. Um, and so I just have really fond memories of, of growing up and, you know, even going to Sunday school and, and learning all of the classic Sunday school stories and songs. How many people remember the song, um, Zacchaeus was a wee little man. Yeah. Okay. That's a great song. Or like the B-I-B-L-E. Do you guys remember that one? Yeah, I know there's probably some older. I'm not that old, but there's some really good um, just Sunday school songs. And of course, you have the really great stories um, that are almost larger than life when you think about like Noah and the Ark or you think about Moses and the 10 Commandments. Um, And I just grew up just loving, getting to learn about those stories. So today, I wanted to share with you one of my favorite Sunday school stories, Um, and it's the story of four young men who were taken captive to a foreign land under the rule of a wicked king. And when these four men were faced with uh, wicked practices and told to bow before this king, they stood upon God's truth and said that they would not bow. This story is none other than the story of Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, And today, I want to spend time reading both Daniel chapter 1 and Daniel chapter 3, because I think both of these chapters can be summed up in one sentence, and this is going to be kind of our theme sentence for the morning. And that sentence is, resolve to stand no matter the cost, because God is faithful even in the fire. So that is the theme that I would like for us to explore today. But first, will you bow your heads and just pray with me? Father, we just thank you uh, for an opportunity to gather together in your house. I just thank you for these brother, uh, brothers and sisters here, God. Um, and we just ask that today, uh, you just teach us from your word. God, we believe that your word is as relevant today as the day it was written. And we believe that there is um, stuff in it that applies to our daily lives and our daily struggles. And so this morning, I just ask um, that your Holy Spirit would convict us and encourage us where needed, God. I just ask that it would be your words that shine through this morning, not my own. Um, And I just ask that you just teach us something new about your character today, God. We thank you for this morning. We thank you for this opportunity, and we pray this all in Jesus' name. So let's start at um, the beginning of our theme sentence this morning. Resolve to stand. If you do have your Bibles with you, please open up to Daniel chapter 1, as I'll be reading um, Daniel 1, verses 1 through 7. The first thing I think we kind of see in this chapter is um, Babylon's indoctrination tactics. If you wonder what I mean by that, let's continue to read together. Um, In the third year of the reign of Jehoiakim, king of Judah, Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, came to Jerusalem and besieged it. And the Lord gave Jehoiakim, king of Judah, into his hand with some of the vessels of the house of God. And he brought them to the land of Shinar, to the house of his God, and placed the vessels in the treasury of his God. They were to be educated for three years, and at the end of that time, they were to stand before the king. Among these were Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah of the tribe of Judah. And the chief of the eunuchs gave them new names. Daniel he called Belteshazzar, Hananiah he called Shadrach, Mishael he called Meshach, and Azariah he called Abednego. So let's stop there for a moment. King Nebuchadnezzar, he took over the land of Jerusalem, took their king captive, and and took with him all of the young men who would have been considered um, physically able, right? And he wanted to indoctrinate them in the ways of Babylon. And we kind of see King Nebuchadnezzar uh, use this indoctrination tactic in three different ways. That first way being re-education. According to verse 4, the king ensured that all of the captives were taught in the ways of the Babylonians. Um, in the scripture, it says Chaldeans, which was like kind of a little sister to the Babylonians. And, and what do we know about the Babylonians? Well, the Babylonians were rebellious idol worshipers. Um, their kind of group started back at the Tower of Babel. And if you remember um, anything from that, that was when they thought that they could see God and they tried to build this tower um, and thought that they could be like God, right? They were rebellious. They were idol worshipers. Um, and really, they served a whole pantheon of, of different gods. So you can only assume what these young Jewish men were being taught um, in their language and literature classes, right? The second tactic um, that we see that King Nebuchadnezzar kind of deployed upon them was this tactic of reassignment. Before Babylon, the Jewish men were assigned to the Lord's service, right? I mean, they grew up knowing the Lord. They were part of his army. They were part of um, his plan. They knew him and they loved him. They knew his word, right? But not anymore. They had been reassigned to King Nebuchadnezzar's army and he wanted their full strength and attention and devotion to be put on him and his service instead of God's. And he did this by putting them through strict physical training for three years and even tried to change their diet. Now, the third tactic we see other than re-education and reassignment is this idea of renaming, right? He literally changed their names in an effort to make the Jewish men forget about the God of their youth. The king had their God-given names changed and their new names paid homage to false gods and idols. So Daniel, whose name originally meant God is my judge, became Belteshazzar, whose name meant the keeper of the treasure of Bel, who was a false god. Hananiah, whose name meant the grace of the Lord became Shadrach, whose name meant the inspiration of the sun. Mishael, whose name meant who is as God, became Meshach, which meant of the goddess Shak. And Azariah, whose name meant the Lord is a help, became Abednego, meaning serving of the shining fire. So King Nebuchadnezzar used these three tactics, and his goal was to essentially erase the young Jewish men's history with the one and only true God. Now, when I was reading through this, I couldn't help but see the similarities in what our enemy Satan is trying to do with us today. He also deploys these same tactics on us. He tries to re educate us by removing any trace of God from our history and from our education systems. He tries to reassign us by drawing our attention away from serving God and onto serving ourselves through earthly gain, sins, and pleasures. He even tries to rename us. Instead of calling us by our God-given names, he calls us by our sins. He tries to shame us by bringing up past faults and failures in order to get us to compromise our beliefs, to stay down and out so that God cannot use us for the plan that he has. Satan wants to get us to forget about the salvation that Christ has offered us through his sacrifice on the cross so that we stay enslaved To him. So what do we do to stop this? We resolve to stand for the truth, just like Daniel did. So as we continue reading, starting in verse 8, we're still in chapter 1, this is what it says. But Daniel resolved that he would not defile himself with the king's food or with the wine that he drank. Therefore, he asked the chief of the eunuchs to allow him not to defile himself. And God gave Daniel favor and compassion in the sight of the chief of the eunuchs. And the chief of the eunuchs said to Daniel, I fear my lord the king who assigned your food and your drink, for why should he see that you were in worse condition than the youths who are of your own age, so you would endanger my head with the king? Then Daniel said to the steward whom the chief of the eunuchs had assigned over Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah, Test your servants for ten days. Let us be given vegetables to eat and water to drink. Then let our appearance and the appearance of the youths who eat the king's food be observed by you, and deal with your servants according to what you see. So he listened to them in this matter and tested them for ten days. At the end of ten days it was seen that they were better in appearance and fatter in flesh than all the youths who ate the king's food. So the steward took away their food and the wine they were to drink and gave them vegetables. So what do we see here? We see Daniel's resolve. And what did he resolve to do? He resolved that he would not defile himself with the king's food. It was clear that King Nebuchadnezzar's um, indoctrination tactics did not work on Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. Now, that word resolve, um, it means to decide firmly. So, in other words, Daniel was confident in his beliefs and was determined to adhere to them. And I think about his upbringing, that he was raised in the faith. He knew the Word of God. So from an early age, he had decided firmly to follow the Word of God. And for each of us, we have to make that decision for ourselves as well. That when faced with ungodliness, have we decided to stand firm on the truth of God's Word? Daniel was confident in his beliefs, and he determined to adhere to them, is what we saw And now if you're asking yourself, what was the big deal with the king's food? Because I kind of thought that as I read through this, I remember thinking this as a kid too, like why did it matter? Um, There is a couple things I want to note. So first of all, in the ancient world, uh, more so than our modern world, the food uh, that was enjoyed by the elite was pretty different from the food that was enjoyed by what you would say are common folk. Essentially, this food would have been luxurious and extremely enticing to both the eye and stomach. The problem was... That this food was not kosher, meaning it did not adhere to Jewish dietary law. On top of that, it was likely that this food had been sacrificed to idols. So even though the food looked good to the eye, it was not good for the soul. This would obviously be a huge problem for Daniel and the three other men, hence why Daniel took a stand. Again, this just further proves that Daniel knew the word of God. He knew that this food would defile himself according to God's standards. And in the same way, when we are faced with ungodly practices, they may look enticing to the eye. But rest assured, they do lead to sin, and sin leads to death. So we must resolve to stand like Daniel. And in order to stand against ungodliness like Daniel, we must do or know three things. First of all, we must know who we are standing for. According to Deuteronomy 32, verse four, our God is the rock. His work is perfect, for all his ways are justice. A God of faithfulness and without iniquity, just and upright is he. The God that they were standing for is the God of justice and mercy, the God with a perfect plan. And as we sang about, he was the God who gave us our very breath. And life. He has a plan and a purpose for each of our lives. Not only do we stand for him, but we also stand on his word. Proverbs 30 verse 5 says, every word of God proves true. He is a shield to those who take refuge in him. His word is perfect. It's infallible. It's true, and it holds the key to everlasting life and peace that surpasses all understanding. And through it, we can find refuge. Daniel and the other three men knew their God and his word, and because of that, they were prepared not to defile themselves with the king's word. So I'll say it again. To be prepared, we must know who our God is, we must know his track record, and we must know the truth found in his word. Secondly, in order to stand against the enemy's tactics, we must also seek after self-denial. Matthew 16, 24-25 says, Then Jesus said to his disciples, If anyone desires to come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. For whoever desires to save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. If we resolve to stand for the truth, we have to deny ourselves of our own wants and comforts. It would have been much easier for Daniel to just comply and eat the food and seek God's forgiveness later. After all, that seems to be what the other captured Jewish men were doing, right? You only really see about this, about Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and and, um, Azariah, that they resolved not to eat it. So it would've been easy to just follow what everyone else was doing, but he didn't. Instead, he denied himself comfort and safety for what was better. We have to realize that when it comes to taking a stand for the truth, it requires a strong heart because it is risky, and sometimes even dangerous. We have to be willing to risk our reputations. We have to be willing to get called names and get shunned. We might even lose family or friends. And in today's terminology, we might even get canceled, right? And we have to decide for ourselves in those moments if God is worth our lack of security and comfort. Charles Spurgeon says of the matter, be ready for a bad name. Be willing to be called a bigot. Be prepared for the loss of friendships. Be prepared for anything so long as you can stand fast by him who bought you with his precious blood. And we know that this was true of of Daniel and the other three men. They knew him, they knew his word, and they were ready to deny themselves for his glory and gain. Third thing that we must uh, know, do, or be in order to stand against ungodliness like Daniel, we must be bold. Romans eight twenty-eight through 31 says, if God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also along with us, along with him, graciously give us all things? Daniel knew that God was for him, like that scripture said, and this enabled him to be bold and take a risk by requesting a different diet from the guard. The guard granted Daniel's request, and as we read, Daniel and his men improved in physical stature. This teaches us that when we obey God and when we act in boldness, God will see us through to the other side. So Daniel resolved not to defile himself, and not only did he grow in physical strength and wisdom, but we also see that he was promoted. Let's read on. We're now in Daniel chapter 1, starting in verse 17. As for these four youths, God gave them learning and skill in all literature and wisdom, and Daniel had understanding in all visions and dreams. At the end of the time when the king had commanded that they should be brought in, the chief of the eunuchs brought them in before Nebuchadnezzar. And the king spoke with them, and among all of them, none was found, like Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. Therefore, they stood before the king, and in every matter of wisdom and understanding about which the king inquired of them, he found them ten times better than all the magicians and enchanters that were in all of his kingdom. So what was the result of Daniel's resolve? God promoted Daniel and his men. God recognized the young men's devotion to him, and because they honored him, he gave them wisdom and strength that far outweighed the other young men, the other magicians, and the other enchanters in all of Nebuchadnezzar's kingdom. When the king saw this, he promoted them to oversee the affairs of Babylon. I don't know exactly what that means, but it sounds very important. Because Daniel resolved to stand for the truth, not only were Daniel and his men spared from punishment— but also they were promoted by the very man who could have punished them. That's an incredible testament to the God that we serve and what he does in our trials. Now, this would be a perfect happy ending. This would be a good place to end the sermon, right? You kind of see, um, you kind of have the whole story, right? Right? You have the problem, the answer, the solution. But it's not where the story ends. In fact, chapter 3, King Nebuchadnezzar is at it again. And we see another ungodly attempt to replace the one true God. And this time, instead of Daniel, we see that Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego have to take a stand. And this is where our theme sentence for the morning continues. Resolve to stand no matter the cost. No matter the cost. We see this in Daniel 3, starting in verse 1. Here's what it says. King Nebuchadnezzar, wow, (laughs) I knew I was going to do that at one point. King Nebuchadnezzar made an image of gold whose height was 60 cubits and its breadth six cubits. He set it up on the plain of Dura in the province of Babylon. Then the satraps, the prefects, and the governors, the counselors, the treasurers, the justices, the magistrates, and all the officials of the provinces gathered for the dedication of the image that King Nebuchadnezzar has set up. And they stood before the image that Nebuchadnezzar has set up. And the herald proclaimed aloud, You are commanded, O peoples, nations, and languages, that when you hear the sound of the horn, pipe, lyre, trigon, harp, bagpipe, and every kind of music, you are to fall down and worship the golden image that King Nebuchadnezzar has set up. And whoever does not fall down and worship shall immediately be cast into a burning, fiery furnace. You see, Nebuchadnezzar is at it again, and he's using a different tactic this time. This time he is using a fear tactic Essentially, he's saying, worship me or die. This was an attempt to solidify his power and further his reign in this kingdom. He wanted full surrenderance from these young Jewish men. He wanted to take control entirely. Again, I'd like to draw another correlation to Satan. Satan may not be as blatant as this king was, but he does want our worship. He wants us to bow at his feet. He tries to convince us that God isn't good and his word isn't true. He tempts us in our areas of weakness because he wants total control. And we know that all sin leads to death. But we also know that there is freedom and redemption when we call upon the name of Christ because of what he did on the cross for us. So if we want to stand against this fear tactic of the enemy, we must remember what Christ did for us on the cross and find our peace in that. Now, how did the three men, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, respond to King Nebuchadnezzar's fear tactic? Well, what we already know of them, they were pretty solid in what they believed. So of course, they did not bow. And King Nebuchadnezzar wasn't too happy about this. We see this in Daniel 3, starting in verse 13. But if you do not worship, you shall immediately be cast into a burning, fiery furnace. And who is the God who will deliver you out of my hands? Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego answered and said to the king, O Nebuchadnezzar, we have no need to answer you in this matter. If this be so, our God whom we serve is able to deliver us from the burning, fiery furnace, and he will deliver us out of your hand, O king. But if not, be it known to you, O king, That we will not serve your gods or worship the golden image that you have set up. Then Nebuchadnezzar was filled with fury. And these three men, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, fell bound into the burning, fiery furnace. So you see kind of um, something different take place this time. With Daniel, he had um, kind of defied the king's order and instead was found promoted, right? God allowed him to be promoted. But in this case, um, when these men defied him, they were instantly thrown into the fire. Nevertheless, like Daniel, they resolved to stand no matter the cost, even if that cost was their very lives. Now, when I think about these three men, I realize that if we put ourselves in those situations, it'd be really easy to make excuses. It'd be really easy to say, I I will bow, but I'm not actually worshiping the idol. Like, God knows my heart. Or God will understand if, if I have to bow in order to save and protect my life. But these are excuses, and these are lies. Our God is worth us standing for, no matter what happens to us. And Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego knew this. And instead of bowing to this enemy, they dug their heels in even further and said, our God will save us. And even if he doesn't, we will not bow to you. How are they able to be so persistent? Well, I think that they were able to stand against this ungodliness because of three things. Number one, they had a good role model. Daniel's resolve to stand up in the little moment paved the way for Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego to stand up in the big moment. That is why it is so important for us as believers to seek after strong Christian mentors and leaders. We need more examples of men and women who are willing to stand up for the truth of God's word. And more than that, we need to become those men and women. Because you never know what one small act of faith could produce in someone else. I, thought, I also think that it's important uh, to remind ourselves that we should be in prayer for our strong Christian leaders and mentors and pastors. I know that I am super thankful that we get to gather here and sit under Pastor Stevens' teaching because he is bold and he speaks the truth clearly, but also in love. But I also realize that um, it can't always be easy to stand up for the truth. And just as we said earlier, there's this process of being able to deny yourself and realizing that you might risk your reputation, realizing that you might lose family and friends when you stand upon the truth. And so I'm thankful that we have a pastor who is willing to do that, but I also realize it is our job as the body of Christ to be in prayer for him constantly. It's also our job to encourage him as we choose to stand next to him on the truth of God's word. They had a good role model in Daniel, and we should strive to be those good role models for others. But secondly, they also counted the cost. If they chose to bow to King Nebuchadnezzar, they would be denying the very God who protected them, strengthened them, and loves them all of their lives. The men determined that the consequences that would come if they denied their God would be far worse than death itself. In Matthew 10, verses 32 to 33, Jesus says, So everyone who acknowledges me before men, I also will acknowledge before my Father who is in heaven. But whoever denies me before men, I also will deny before my Father who is in heaven." We have to realize that if we deny God in front of others, the consequences are far worse than anything man can do to us. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego realized this important truth and understood who their allegiance was to. And because of that, they were able to trust God's plan over their own. When the three men said, our God is able to deliver us, but even if he doesn't, Be it known to you, O king, that we will not bow. This showcased the great trust these men had in God and their ability to surrender to his plan. They knew that his ways were higher and better than their own. In Isaiah 55, 8 through 9, God says, For my thoughts are not your thoughts, Neither neither are your ways my ways, declares the Lord. For as the heavens are greater than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways and my thoughts than your thoughts. These three men realized this truth. We may not always understand God's plan, and at times it may look like we're losing because we have this idea of this temporary victory in mind when God has an eternal victory in mind, and we have to trust him. So before we read on and and kind of finish this story, I think we should take a moment um, and I encourage you to examine your own heart. Do you know who you are standing for? Do you know what you are standing on? Are you in his word daily? Do you know his character? Do you know his promises? Do you trust God's plan over your own? Does the peace of God steer your heart, or is it fear and anxiety at the helm? Have you determined that the consequences of denying God are far worse than even death itself? If we are resolving to stand, no matter the cost, these are the questions we must ask ourselves. So what happens to the men in the fire? What was the result of their resolve? Our story ends here as we finish our theme sentence. Resolve to stand, no matter the cost, because God is faithful even in the fire. If you'll turn with me to Daniel 3, and I'll start reading in verse 24. Then King Nebuchadnezzar was astonished and rose up in haste. He declared to his counselors, did we not cast three men bound into the fire? They answered and said to the king, true, O king. He answered and said, but I see four men unbound walking in the midst of the fire, and they are not hurt, and the appearance of the fourth is like a son of the gods. Then Nebuchadnezzar came near to the door of the burning fiery furnace. He declared, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, servants of the most high God, come out and come here. Come here. Then Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego came out from the fire, and the satraps, the prefects, the governors, and the king's counselors gathered together and saw that the fire had not had any power over the bodies of those men. The hair of their heads was not singed, their cloaks were not harmed, and no smell of fire had come upon them. Nebuchadnezzar answered and said, blessed be the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, who sent his angel, and delivered his servants who trusted in him and set aside the king's command and yielded up their bodies rather than serve and worship any god except their own. Therefore I make a decree, any people, nation, or language that speaks anything against the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego shall be torn limb from limb and their houses laid in ruins, for there is no other God who is able to rescue in this way." Then the king promoted Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego in the province of Babylon. So what was the result of their resolve? The three men were thrown into the fire, but God was with them. And this was different. Like I said, when Daniel made his resolve, it's like God answered his prayer immediately. But when these three men made their resolve, they weren't protected from the fire. Instead, they were protected in the fire. They still had to face it. which which shows us that we still will have hardships and trials of, of many kinds, but it teaches us the promise that God will be with us in the fire. And when we walk in the fire, he will lead us through it. And the result is that just like King Nebuchadnezzar and many others got to know the one and true God and worshiped him, he can do the same thing in our lives. We can be a testimony for him. So what does this section of our text teach us about God? Well, number one, as I already said, God protects us in the fire. And let me say it again. I I didn't say God protects us from the fire. Because the truth is, God doesn't always protect us from the fire. But he does protect us in the fire. Again, we will face trials of many kinds, but we need not be afraid because the God we serve has total control and he promises to protect us from the schemes of the enemy, even though it may look a little different than what we think or want. 2 Thessalonians 3.3 says, the Lord is faithful. He will establish you and guard you against the evil one. So we see God protects us in the fire. Second, we see that God pursues us in the fire. God was with Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego in that fiery furnace. He wasn't standing from afar or looking in from the outside. He was in there with them. He didn't abandon them. He pursued them. And he pursues us when we're in the midst of a fire. Isaiah 43, one through three says, but now thus says the Lord, he who created you, O Jacob, he who formed you, O Israel, fear not for I have redeemed you I have called you by name and you are mine. When you pass through the waters, I will be with you. And through the rivers, they shall not overwhelm you. When you walk through fire, you shall not be burned and the flame shall not consume you. For I am the Lord, your God, the Holy One of Israel, your Savior. So God protects us in the fire. He pursues us in the fire. And the third, we, the third thing that we see is that God proves us in the fire. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego's faith was proved in that fire, and their faith led many others to see God as well. In the same way, God tends to use the fires of our lives to prove, refine, or purify us, both for our good and the advancement of his kingdom. In fact, the scriptures say that Jesus is like a refiner's fire, And we find this over in Malachi um, chapter 3, verses 3 through 4. For he is like, for he meaning Jesus, for he is like a refiner's fire and like fuller's soap. He will sit as a refiner and purifier of silver. And he will purify the sons of Levi and refine them like gold and silver. And they will bring offerings in righteousness to the Lord. Then the offering of Judah and Jerusalem will be pleasing to the Lord as in the days of old as in, and as in former years. What does that term mean? What is a refiner's fire? Well, a refiner's fire melts down a metal, such as gold or silver, as we read in our text, for purification purposes. Once a metal is in its melted down state, the, the dross or the imperfections in the metal rises to the top and is then removed from the metal before it cools, God spoke this analogy through the prophet Malachi to describe how he purifies our own hearts. Just as a refiner's fire, God will draw out the dross or our broken and sinful ways so that we will stand pure and righteous before him. A refiner's fire does not destroy the metal. Rather, it allows the the junk within it to come up so that it can be removed. A refiner's fire does not consume, but rather it makes the metal better and more valuable. This comparison helps make sense of why God allows us to walk through fires sometimes. Because we know that he wants to purify us. He does not consume us. Rather, being in relationship with him draws us to righteousness and away from sinfulness. God can use our sufferings and our shortcomings to refine us just as a refiner's fire so that anything imperfect within us can be brought to the surface and removed. How humbling it is to stand before a God who loves us in this way. And again, I will say it's not always easy. It's probably never fun. It's painful. It's excruciating, but it's worth it because then you stand righteous before the king who deserves everything. So God protects us in the fire, God pursues us in the fire, and God proves us in the fire. Now, this is where our story ends today and where we'll stop reading in Daniel. Um, And you may be wondering why I chose this specific passage today. And I chose it because as I read through it, I couldn't help but think about all of the high school students and the college students going back to school in these past few weeks and in these coming weeks. Knowing that they may face um, ungodly teaching or temptations, or they may be away from their family of faith, they may become discouraged. I chose it because I thought about the men and women in our church who are standing on the front lines against the evils of the abortion industry. I chose it because I look around this room, and I know some of you, and I know what you're going through, and I know that you're walking through a fire. I also know that there are many people in this room who I do not know that are also going through a fire. And in these moments, it can be easy to feel like giving up. We want to give in and bow down to the enemy. But I am here this morning to say, keep Standing. Resolve, decide firmly to stand with God, the God of all creation who loves you and created you and knows you. Stand with Him, stand for Him. Yes, it might cost you, but it is worth it because He is the God of justice and mercy. Every word of His is true and He loves you and will be with you in the fire. So keep. Standing. Like Daniel, like Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, God was faithful to them and He will be faithful to you too. So, to the people who are on the front lines fighting for the lives of the unborn, keep standing. God is faithful. To the students who are uncertain of what the future holds, keep standing. Because God is faithful. To the educators who are desperately trying to keep or put God back into the schools, keep standing because God is faithful. To the person who is battling addiction or depression or physical sicknesses, keep standing. God is faithful. To the person who feels like they lost everything. Maybe it was a marriage a child, a parent, possessions. Keep standing because God is faithful. And to the person who is in the middle of the fire, uncertain if God is even with you or if he hears your cries, keep standing. God is faithful. He pursues us in the fire. He protects us in the fire. He purifies us in the fire. He is with us. He will never leave nor forsake us. So resolve to stand, no matter the cost, because God is faithful even in the fire. Let's pray. Again, I just want to stress the importance of of taking a moment to examine your own heart and ask yourself the questions that I asked earlier. Do I know God? Do I know his word? Can I be bold for him? Can I deny myself the comfort and safety and security of staying quiet when I know I must stand for his truth? Am I seeking after good mentors and leaders who can keep me accountable And am I being that mentor to someone else? Do you trust God's plan more than your own? Can you honestly sit there and say that this morning? Do you trust Him as the refiner's fire? Will you allow Him to pull any sin and imperfections up to the surface so that they can be removed? If you want to resolve to stand for his truth, these are the questions you must ask yourself. Resolve to stand no matter the cost because God is faithful even in the fire. So Father, this morning, we approach your throne. You know what's on our hearts. You know what's on our minds, and we just want to take a second to declare that you are good and you are faithful. Even in the midst of the fire, you are with us. You do not leave us. You'll never forsake us. Father, we know that that is undeserved, so we thank you for your mercy. We thank you for your blessings. We thank you that you see us through to the other side We trust you and we love you. But I do recognize that there are many in here this morning facing hardship and heartbreak. So, Father, to anyone who does feel like they're in the middle of the fire, I ask for your peace that surpasses understanding to be upon them. I ask for your love to show itself in new ways that they've never experienced before. Father, we thank you for the protection you offer us and in everything we strive to be and look more like you. So Father, I pray that this word from your scripture today would be encouraging to the people here knowing that you are always with us. We thank you for that promise. We thank you for your relationship with us. And we pray this all in Jesus' name, amen. Thanks for joining us for today's message. For more information, you can visit Experience Redemption on Instagram or Facebook for updates, service times, and ways you can get connected. Want to partner and support the work of Redemption Church? You can give online at experienceredemption.com slash giveonline to explore your giving options. We also stream services on both YouTube and Facebook Live, so be sure to join us and share your experience. Thanks for checking out the podcast. We will see you soon.